Well, good morning, Coconut Creek. How you all doing? Fantastic. Hey, my name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're so glad that you're with us this morning. We've been uh, in this series called Pursued that we started last week. Um, and if, if you don't know, it's, it's a study on the book of Hosea. I know that there's a lot of you that have been having tons of questions about the book of Hosea. So we are here to meet all of your needs on that. Actually, nobody has ever really asked to know anything about the book of Hosea. But it's going to be a great day. I promise you that it'll be a great day. I really believe that this is a, this is a, a, a powerful message for us to hear and to understand and to really, really comprehend. If you don't know where the book of Hosea is, it's in the Old Testament. If you guys want to turn there, we'd love for you to follow along in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, you can look in your worship guide. If you don't have a worship guide, you can go get one, or you can just pay attention to the screen, whatever, whatever you kind of choose today. And, um, and so we're in this series, and we're reading through the book of Hosea. And this, this story is, is an incredible story. And last week, we dove into this, and we kind of gave you a, a big overview of the book of Hosea. And really what we saw from last week is that, is that we have this heartbroken, jealous God that is so passionate about knowing us, that he is 100% committed to relationship with us, and, and, and he's willing to wait for us. And not only is he willing to wait for us, but we'll see that he's willing to pursue us with every single thing that he has. Uh, and, and so this book is actually one of the most beautiful love stories you'll probably ever read. In fact, beyond the, the cross of Jesus Christ, this is probably the best story in the Bible to illustrate God's love and his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy that it has for each and every single one of us. And so this is, this is really, really cool. And so if you weren't here last week, let me just say this on the front end, um, that this is one of those few times at Coastal that each week is kind of important. And so if you missed last week, uh, we're going to try to review, but you're not going to catch all of it. So there might be some pieces that are missing. So today it might feel like you're kind of like walking into a movie, like 20 minutes into it and trying to catch up with what's going on. But I promise uh, that doesn't mean you can check out. doesn't mean you can take a nap right now. I want you to pay attention. I believe that God's going to do something awesome here today. And so um, it's, it's, this is an incredible, important story. And so last week, I kind of broke down the book of Hosea into four acts, and I just want to review those with you guys real quick. The first act was Hosea receives an unusual vision from God. And that vision was as God told him to go and marry a prostitute. This wasn't like somebody that was a former prostitute. This is somebody that was in currently in prostitution. And so this is the first time God's ever asked somebody to do that, and it's the only time that God has ever asked anybody to do that in the Bible. And so Hosea gets this, this odd request from God, and so he does it. And then in Act 2, Hosea over time falls in love with Gomer. Um, and, and, and so he goes and he's just obedient to God, but over time as he's in this relationship with this woman, he falls madly in love with her. Think pretty woman. I mean, like, totally Julia Roberts, Richard Gere. Like, he has this realization, man, I love her unconditionally. She's amazing. I'll do anything for her. And then act three is, is Gomer has an affair, and Hosea is absolutely crushed. Um, you know, they're in this relationship. Hosea is falling for Gomer. Like, everything seems like it's going great. Then all of a sudden, like she dips out and she goes back into her old lifestyle. She goes back into being a prostitute. And, and, and this just crushes Hosea. A lot like it, the way 
It crushes God's heart when we run to other things rather than staying faithful in our relationship to him. He says, in spite of your faithlessness, I'm going to still be faithful and pursue you and love you, even in the midst of that, but it crushes me. And then in Act 4, Hosea pursues Gomer and buys her back. And, and that's really where we're going to focus today. And that's really where we're going to dig in and we're going to try to get some more explanation and really understanding of this. And, and really the, the essence of this story isn't to just show the complexity of the relationship between Gomer and Hosea. The, the reality is, is this story is an illustration of the complexities we have in our relationship with God. It's the complexities that we have with our Heavenly Father and staying faithful to Him because so many times in our lives, we, we love knowing God, but we also have some other lovers that are here on the side that we're constantly going to their beds and not staying faithful to this God that's always faithful to us. And all throughout Scripture and in this book, God loves to use the imagery of, of the relationship of marriage to describe the relationship that He wants to have with you and I. And so what we see throughout this story is the fact that, that we have this God that isn't just content with us serving Him. He isn't just content with us giving to Him. We have this God that actually wants to walk with us and talk with us. We have a God that wants to have a relationship with us. And last week we really dove in and talked about the fact that God pursues us for a relationship even though it's messy. Like he looks at our situation, the relationship that we have with him and says, man, I'm going to pursue you in the midst of the mess. And the mess isn't on God's part, it's on our part. We have the constant idea that, man, we want to go to these other things to get what only God can provide us in relationship. And he says, in spite of all the mess that you're creating, man, I'm going to pursue you so passionately with every single thing that I have. And today, really what I want to focus on and it's in your notes, is that God pursues us with grace that is greater than our mess. God pursues us with a grace that is greater than our mess. And what you're going to see in this act four is God has called uh, Hosea to wait, and all of a sudden he's saying, okay, now it's time for you to go after her. Man, I want you to go after her with everything that you got. And so we're going to kind of pick up the story there in Hosea 3.1. It says, Then the Lord said to me, Go and love your wife again. Even though she commits adultery with another lover, this will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel. Even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. Now let me kind of break down what's happening here because this is, this is important. It has some, some, big, some big impact. There's some simple statements with some profound impact, I believe will be in our life if we, we grab hold of these. And the first one is this, is that God pursues us with grace. God pursues us by grace. And we need to know this because Hosea is commanded to chase after, to woo, to do whatever it takes to get Gomer back. Like, he's like, man, whatever you got to do, whatever it's going to take, go and do that. And in this story, there's so many details that I wish we could cover uh, but we can't cover them all. But there is one that's really, really important. In the midst of, of Gomer being out in this relationship, Gomer uh, ends up pregnant. And, uh, and, and let me just kind of back up a little bit more in case some of you guys weren't here last week. Uh, let me just kind of define who these, these characters are. Uh, Hosea is, is a dude and Gomer is a woman, okay? And Gomer is the wife and she's a prostitute. So two strikes against her right off the bat. Like she's not doing very well. But not only is she that, but she goes back into prostitution. So three strikes, she's out. And, uh, but yet God calls Hosea to pursue her. And so we find that in this story that uh, she has gotten pregnant not once, 
not twice, but three times. And from everything we can tell from the names of these kids, they are not Hosea's children. In fact, we don't even know who's the father of these kids. And so what we see is that while Hosea is pursuing uh, Gomer with this grace and this passion, he is also going back into an extremely, extremely complex situation, wouldn't you say? I mean, going back into a relationship where there's, there's multiple children now involved. And I just think that this is just such a beautiful story because you've got to see this. There is nowhere in this story that Gomer ever deserves the love that Hosea has for her. Like, there's not, in fact, all throughout this story, what you see is, is Gomer finding ways to sabotage everything that Hosea does to love her. Like, she isn't just a cheater in the story. She's like a serial cheater. Like, she doesn't just cheat once. She cheats twice, three times, four times. Like, over and over and over again. All you see is her making poor choices. And nowhere in the story do you ever see her going back and going like, man, Hosea, would you forgive me? Nowhere do you ever see her going back and, and wanting to pursue a relationship. Nowhere do you ever see her going back and showing any remorse at all. In fact, the opposite is true. Yet, Hosea pursues her. And it just signifies that in the midst of, of all the junk that's in our lives, and in the midst of all the stuff that we've brought upon ourselves, that we've ran after, that we've gone after, God still pursues us in the midst of that. No matter how bad it's become, no matter how, how much we've jacked things up and screwed things up, God is still pursuing us with a grace that is so much greater than our mess. Because His very heart is to take us back. Like, when's the last time you really thought about the fact that, that there is this God that loves you so much that he came after you? Seriously. Like, when have you thought about the fact that, that you have this God that loves you re regardless of what you've done, regardless of the circumstances you find yourself in, that he loves you enough to pursue you and to go after you, even when you're in the most broken and desperate place in your life, where you feel like nobody loves you and nobody would pursue you, but yet there he is, pursuing you with grace that is so much bigger than your mess. second thing is, is you are redeemed by grace. You are redeemed by grace. And this is where the story gets a little crazy. Because here's Hosea being commanded by God to go and find his wife. And he's probably not going to Parkland to find his wife. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's not going to uh, Parkland Golf and Country Club to try to find where his wife is. She's gone back into prostitution. So he's probably going into the worst part of town, maybe this like a little shady part of town to, to pursue her. And this is what happens in verse two. It says, I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. And so what's happening in this moment is, is that, is, is, and we gotta kind of piece this together because it's not necessarily clearly stated, but she 
Gomer has gone back into prostitution. And because she's gone back into a prostitution in their customs, she is now owned by someone. In essence, she is a slave. And this is like humanity at its lowest, the fact that we could own another human being. But this is exactly where she is at. So she has an owner. And in our terminology, in essence, she has a pimp. She's, she's being pimped out by some dude, and I've always wanted to say pimp in church, so like, here's my chance. It's not in the Bible, but I just want to throw it out there, okay? Don't go looking for it. You won't find it. TJ's terminology. Okay, got that. Um, but so she's got a pimp. She's got a guy that's, that's kind of, that's overseeing her. And, and what's happening is, is, is that probably somewhere in town, in the shady part of town, what would happen is there would be an auction that would be for slaves, whether, whether they're men, women, children. And so probably some small stage, a lot smaller than this. And people would gather around and, and they, they would bid on these people. And they, one by one, they would put them up for auction. And, and, and so Gomer's owner has put her up for auction. He's put her up for auction and, and she's being put out on that stage. And imagine for a moment yourself in that place. Imagine being put up for auction on, and, and people that you don't know and that you're scared of and that you don't, you don't, they don't look too kind or too gracious all of a sudden are bidding on your life. Like it's not a real pleasant thing to think about. But I think for Gomer, this was, this was kind of normal for her. She'd been used and abused, bought and sold most of her life. In fact, I think that she probably felt pretty worthless. And imagine hearing voices calling out like, I'll give a goat or I'll give two pieces of silver. And she's hearing these voices call out what they're willing to pay for her. And in the midst of all of those voices, she hears the voice of her husband bidding on her. The man that has loved her absolutely unconditionally, no questions asked, bidding for her freedom. Like, what do you think she was thinking in that moment? Do you think she was excited? Do you think she was ashamed? Do you think that there was joy? What, I mean, like, what's happening inside of her heart? What do you think is taking place there? This idea of redemption that God is pursuing us with. In the Old Testament, the word redemption is, is an interesting word because it was mostly thought about in, in an economical sense. It was an economic term in Old Testament days, redemption or being redeemed. And, and we don't really start to see the significance of redemption or being redeemed in the New Testament until Jesus. And so, so when they're talking about her being redeemed, they're talking about an economical transaction that needs to happen. And so we need to understand the economical impact of what's happening in this story. And so in essence, for her to be redeemed or for someone to be redeemed, uh, it implied a couple of things. It, it implied that a person is, is a slave or captive to another master. Just like Gomer was, she had a pimp in her life. She was a slave to someone else. It also implied that a price or a ransom had to be paid. Like there was something that had to happen in order to secure freedom. There was a transaction that needed to take place in order for that freedom to be secured. It also implied that a human liaison must act in order to secure that redemption. Like somebody had to do that beyond the person that was captive. 
And so what we need to understand is that this is the Old Testament terminology. Let me kind of explain how that works in the New Testament out of Romans 3 chapter, or Romans chapter 3 verses 22 through 26. It says this, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by the grace through the redemption, there's that word, that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Now, I, I just read their text, but there's something very significant about that text that's going to relate to this process of redemption in the Old Testament. There's a couple of things that Paul really addresses here. He says, first of all, like, like we've all sinned. And because we all sin, we all are a slave to sin in life. Our master in life right now, because of our nature, is sin. And because we have a sin nature, we have to be bought. We have to, there's a price that has to be paid for that sin. And what he goes on to say, because there's a pace that, price that has to be paid for that sin, somebody has to be that. And so Jesus, it says in that verse, that Jesus is our redemption. He is our price that has to be paid for that sin. So he is that, that person that is, that is the actual price for what we've done. And then the third part that's really, really significant, not only is he the price for our freedom, but he's also our mediator between us and God. Like he is the person. And this is so significant. Not only is he our price, but he is the person that is going in there and making the transaction so that we can have freedom. Because what you start to see out of this verse is that you and I, we cannot fix ourselves. And for a lot of us, this is important for us to understand because we've been going through life trying to fix ourselves. We've been trying to fix that addiction, but we just can't seem to fix it. We've been trying to fix uh, the, the relationships that we have, but we just can't seem to fix them. We've been trying to fix our attitude, but we just can't seem to fix that thing. We've been trying to fix our addiction to pornography, but we just can't seem to uh, beat that thing because we can't fix ourselves. If we could fix ourselves, we would never need a mediator and somebody to pay the price for our sins. See, we're all captive to sin. And when you're captive, you can never free yourself by yourself. Imagine, imagine Gomer on the stage and people are bidding on her. She can never bid on herself for her freedom. You want to know why? Because she is a slave. And because she's a slave, she owns nothing and has nothing. The significance of that is, is that because we are all slaves to sin, we cannot beat it on our own. There has to be someone that's willing to come and pay the price so that we can be redeemed. And that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. As he came and he lived a sinless life and died a, a, a sinner's death so that he, and rose again so that he could be the redemption for our sins and the mediator, the person that goes and pays the price so that we could experience freedom. Jesus is the way out of our sin problem. You've been redeemed by grace, but you've also been restored by grace. Restored by grace. And I think this is really important 
Because there is a big difference between redemption and restoration. And a lot of times what's happened, if you've been around the church at all, is that these two things kind of go, they get put kind of hand in hand, like these are one and the same. But there is a big, big difference between redemption and restoration. Redemption is something that happens in a moment. Like as soon as that bill is paid, as soon as that price is paid, you are instantly redeemed. There is instant freedom from the person or the thing that was your master. Now you were bought with a price. You have freedom. Restoration, on the other hand, is something that takes a lifetime. It's the fact that none of us have ever arrived. And the process of restoration and the goal of restoration is for you and I to become all that God has called us to be. We're to become that man or that woman of God and, and to look more and more and more like Jesus all the time. But this is what I know is that, man, I've been pursuing Jesus for a long time, but I still got a long ways to go because this is a process that's probably going to take me the rest of my life. And it's probably going to take you the rest of your life. You're probably not going to get to that full restoration until you get to heaven and there is no more sin. But what happens is because we try to put them together, a lot of times we have this confusion about our salvation because what we say is like, man, I've been instantaneously redeemed, but I should be restored at the same time. And so I struggle with these things that I struggled with before. And so we start questioning our salvation because I'm still having these struggles, but I thought I was redeemed and restored. And we get confused and all of a sudden we're going right back into our old lifestyle when that's not the case at all. We are instantly redeemed, but restoration is something that's going to take a lifetime. I mean, think about this story. The moment that Hosea goes and bids and wins the bid and pays the pimp for Gomer, she is instantaneously redeemed. She is no longer a slave to that guy anymore. She is free. But is she restored? Heck no. Can you imagine the car ride home after that day? Some of y'all thought you had it bad on the way here. Like, imagine that. Like the process of restoration, man, I, I, I bet that that wasn't just a day or a week or a year. I bet you that was years, maybe even longer, maybe even longer. Because restoration is a process. Here's how I put it in your notes. For us to truly experience restoration, grace has to get below the surface of our shame and our guilt for there to be healing. Grace has to get below all of that for there to be healing. You know, last week I told you the more I read this story, the more I tried to make sense of it, the less sense it made. And, and this week I was just asking myself this question over and over and over again. Like, why in the world does Gomer go back to prostitution? Like, here she is. I mean, she's, she's been in prostitution. She's been used and abused. She's been bought and sold. And here comes this guy that loves her in spite of all of that. Not only does he love her, but he provides like everything that she's always wanted. He provides a safe place. He provides a loving place. He, he gives everything that he can 
to give her a life that she never deserves, but yet he wants her to have. And in the middle of all of that, the safest place and the most loving place she's ever been, she goes right back to her old lifestyle. Like, I, 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 I ask myself, like, why would you, like, why would you do, that doesn't make any sense to me unless you're on drugs. I mean, that makes no sense. But I started to realize when you live with shame, it makes complete sense. It makes 100% sense because shame, in essence, becomes your identity and you constantly go into this self-destructive behavior and this self-abusive lifestyle. Because shame, it, it, it causes us to have insanity in life because shame blinds you and I to the miracle of forgiveness that God wants to do in our life. It blinds us completely to this miracle of forgiveness. And so while you've been redeemed in life, while there has been a price that's been paid for you, you don't feel like you've been redeemed. And while you've been forgiven, like Jesus says, man, I forgive you, you don't feel forgiven. And because you don't feel those things, you continue to go back to your same way of living because of the feelings that you have rather than the truth of God's word because you have been forgiven and you have been redeemed. But the process of restoration is something that takes a lifetime to happen. And it's a struggle. And the struggle is real. There's this age-old philosophical debate that, that goes on, and, and I'm not a philosopher, but... Um, I, I think it's really, really pertinent to this, this application right here. And it goes like this. Does your love for something or someone create value? Or do you love something or someone because it has value? Let me read that again. Does your love for something or someone create value? Or do you love someone or something because it has value? And, and I've, I've been reading this this week, and I, I, I don't know if this is an option, but I kind of think it's both. Like, I think that there's things that are valuable, and I love it, and then there's things that I love, and because I love it, it becomes valuable. Uh, let, let's take, for instance, um, uh, the love I have for my TV. Um, I love my TV. You know, uh, I, I love my TV because of what it does for me. It entertains me. There's nothing better than a Sunday going home and turning on golf and letting it kind of ease me into a great nap. Like, that, like it's a beautiful thing. And, and, and so um, my love doesn't create value for the TV. My TV is valuable, therefore I, I, I kind of love it. You know what I'm saying? Like that my TV is, is the love it is because of the value it brings to me. But I also think that there is this, this love that creates value in something. There's, there's a love, and let me explain it like this. I have a younger sister. Um, she's my stepsister. Her name is Anne. She's eight years younger than me. And growing up, um, Anne had a doll that she absolutely loved. Anybody, any parents out there ever have like, your child has like a toy or something that like that cannot depart from them. Like it is their favorite thing. It's a blankie. Like every parent is like, yeah, we got one of those. So you know what I'm talking about. She had this baby doll that was like the passion of her life. And and we called it Baby uh, just because we were too lazy to call it Baby Doll. And so like her, the doll's name was Baby. And Anne loved this doll more than you should love anything in life. Okay, and, and so because she loved this doll so much, um, it made us start to love the doll because it was so important to Anne. Because Anne loved this doll so much, it created value, and therefore we started loving the doll because Anne loved that doll so much. And we did some crazy things for that doll. 
because of how much Ann loved it. I mean, we lost that doll at times. It was stolen one time. I mean, like, there was pure pandalonium. And if you were to see that doll, you would, if you saw it at, like, a garage sale, you wouldn't give two nickels for that doll. Like, it was nasty. It probably had some diseases on it. Like, it was, like, fingers broken off, ear gnawed on. Like, it was not, like, worth anything to anybody else besides our family. Like, we couldn't give it to you. Like, we would have to pay you to take it. That's how gross it was. But you couldn't give us all the money in the world for that doll because of what it meant to Anne. Because Anne loved that doll so much, it created value. In fact, I remember in 1992, right after Hurricane Andrew, we were going on vacation down to the Keys, and, and we spent a week there as a family. And, and on our way back, we were traveling through Homestead, and it was like one-lane roads at the time because of all the devastation. And along the way, we realized that Anne forgot baby at the hotel. And like, you, like you don't put baby in a corner. You know what I'm saying? Like for all of you older people, you know what I'm talking about. Like, like Anne went crazy. Like she was bawling her eyes out. And so like our family, we turned around. We drove like four hours back to this hotel to get baby. Like we weren't the brightest family, but we were committed to that stupid doll. Committed. And let me just tell you something. Um, and, and if, if Ann ever shows up here at church, I pray that she does someday. Um, if you ever mention this to my sister, um, you are going to pay for the rest of her life's counseling bill, okay? Because um, I'm going to share a family secret with you all. Um, we didn't just have one baby doll. We had like three baby dolls. You know what I'm saying? Like, because over time that baby got nasty and stuff, and so we had to kind of like trade it out for another one because like... It just was gross. And, and because Anne loved it so much, it created value. And so we had three of them. And we made sure that like they were constantly rotated out when she was somewhere else so that it didn't become too gross. And so we're kind of messed up, okay? You can pray for us later. We have issues in our family. But her love for that doll created value. God's love for you makes you valuable. See, a lot of us think that it's, our love is, is based on what we do. Like, that doesn't qualify God's love for you. You can't earn his love by what you do. He loves you, therefore, you are valuable. And I think the reason so many of you guys have a hard time accepting God's love and God's grace in your life, and I, and I know a lot of you do, because I have conversations with you is most of us only accept the love that we think we deserve. Seriously. We only deserve, we only accept the love that we think we deserve. And so we're constantly out there thinking like, man, I don't deserve God's love. Like I haven't done enough. I haven't accomplished enough. And his love is not based on what you deserve. Like you can't earn value in God's eyes God loves you, therefore you are valuable. It doesn't matter what you accomplish. It doesn't matter how many times you tell him you'll do this. It doesn't matter how many spiritual hoops you jump through. None of those things is going to create value in God's eyes of you. His value is based on his love that he already has for you. And some of you need to hear that today. And it's especially too, true if you're a Christ follower because the, the reality is, is the only shame you choose to carry or the only shame you carry is the shame 
you choose to carry. A lot of you guys are walking around with shame by choice. And you don't even realize it. Because here's the deal, you've already been redeemed. Now does that mean you don't make mistakes and you don't screw up? Not at all. Like, you're going to screw up, you're going to make some mistakes because that's part of the process of restoration. And that's kind of a lifelong thing and allowing yourself to be loved and receive God's grace is something that's, that's going to take some time because it's got to get below all that guilt and shame and it's got to seep down into the deepest parts of who you are. But for a lot of us, there's always something that's saying, yeah, but... Yeah, but you don't understand what I've done or you don't, you don't know what I've been through, God. And God's saying, listen, listen, listen. None of that stuff matters. All that matters is that you've already been taken care of. It doesn't matter if you don't feel forgiven. It doesn't matter if you don't feel redeemed. Just because you don't feel it doesn't mean it isn't taking place. It's something that you just have to accept. And as you start to accept it, you'll start to experience the transformation of what I'm trying to do inside of you. Isaiah 38, 16 and 17 says this, Lord, by such things people live, and my spirit finds life in them too. You restore to me the health and let me live. Surely it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. In your love you kept me from the pit of destruction. You have put all of my sins behind your back. Can you leave that last part up? Thank you. Um, This idea here that in your love you kept me from the pit of destruction. It's such a huge thought. And it says, you have put all of my sins behind you because that's, that's really like a bad translation. Literally what, what it's saying there in, in a better Hebrew translation would be, you love my soul so much that your love lifted me out of the pit of the life. In essence, it's saying like God's deep abounding love for you is so much greater than you can imagine that, that it isn't about the stuff that you've done. It's about the fact that he loves you so much that he wraps his arms around you. And because he wraps his arms around you, it starts lifting and elevating you out of all of the circumstances that you've been facing in life. Beth Moore says something that's really, really interesting that I heard the other day. She said, you can't shame someone out of the pit and then stay out of the pit. And I thought to myself, man, that's, that's so true. You can't shame somebody out of their place and then stay out of that place. Think about it, we've all shamed people into decisions, haven't we? We've shamed them into doing something. It's a form of manipulation. And they'll do it for a little bit, but they'll always revert back to their old ways. In fact, the church has been awesome at this. Like, we're, we're notorious for shaming people into decisions. And I apologize because we'll come in here and, and Josh will play keys over here in a sweet, melodic way like he is right now. <laughs> Doing a great job, Josh. And we'll shame you into making a life-changing decision. And you'll walk out of here and you'll work so hard and you might even have a little bit of success in it. 
But eventually, and you know this to be true, you end up right back in the place where you started at because of shame. And shame is constantly doing this in our life. And if shame is the primary way that we're trying to get out of where we are, eventually we're going to go back to that pit over and over and over and over again. Because it always takes you back to where you first started. That's his game. gets you out for a moment, but it gets you going back over and over again. And that's exactly why Gomer goes back into her lifestyle, goes back to prostitution. It's because the shame that she felt in her life was more comfortable than any other place in her life. I mean, can you imagine she was more comfortable standing on a platform with people bidding on her than she was being at home with a man who loved her unconditionally? Because shame and guilt is all she had ever known. And this is what I know is that some of you guys in here today, shame and guilt is all you've ever known. Man, it's it's been hurting you and you've been trying to break the cycle but you just continue to go back to the same things over and over again and God's saying listen, listen, listen shame is never going to break the cycle and he gives us the key in that verse he says man, my love is what breaks it love is what breaks the cycle of shame and guilt in your life and if you'll allow my love my love that is giving for God so loved the world that he gave. See, I'm not here to take anything from you, God, saying that he's saying, I'm here to give you something that's going to lift you out of your situation, that's going to give you a whole new perspective on life, that's going to allow you to become the person that I want you to become. It's going to allow the process of restoration to happen in your life. But if you don't ever take my redemption, if you don't ever take my grace, if you don't ever take this love that I'm freely giving to you, you're going to miss out on this gift. And this gift is everything that you've been searching for in your life. It's everything that you've wanted. It's everything that you've longed for. It's everything that you need. But the question is, is will you accept it and allow it to sink below those levels of hurt, those levels of pain, those levels of guilt, and those levels of shame? Because when we do, we'll experience all that God has for us. Let's pray. God, we just come before you. And I just want to talk to you guys as we're praying here. I, I think that there's, there's probably a couple of groups of people here today. I think there's a group in here today that you've gone through life and you've heard a lot about church and you've heard a lot about Jesus, or maybe you haven't heard it all. There's a possibility of that. And 
You know a lot about religion, but you didn't know that God was after a relationship with you. From the very beginning, all he's wanted and all he's desired is to know you. And maybe you've never experienced redemption. You've been struggling with the same thing over and over again, expecting to get different results. The idea of insanity. And today is maybe the day that you need to make a decision for Jesus. Maybe you need to accept his redemption. Because the captivity that you're experiencing, you haven't been able to break free of. And Jesus today wants to help you break free of that. And he has not only paid the price, but he is the mediator for you and I so that we can experience the fullness of what God has. And so if that's you, I would just ask that you just pray this prayer in your heart as I pray it out loud. God, man, I realize that I've got a sin problem that I haven't been able to fix. But today I recognize that you came and you paid a debt that I could never pay. And you stood in the gap to be the mediator to free me from sin and shame and guilt that I've experienced most of my life. Today, knowing that your son died 3,000 years ago on a cross for those things and rose again three days later so that I could have life and more abundantly, I accept your grace and your forgiveness today and your redemption and your forgiveness. God, I pray that instantaneously we would be, every single person would be overwhelmed with your love. Then there's a second group in here that, that I believe that you've been redeemed, that you've had an experience with Jesus, you've accepted him, you've, you've had an encounter, but yet you're still living with shame. You're still stuck in the pit and you keep going back over and over and over again and you're, you're tired of living that way and you're saying no more. God, I pray that today we would have the courage to allow your love to, to go as deep as necessary into our lives. God, that your love would wrap around all of the things that, that we've constantly gone back to, the, the other things that have always come in between us and you, that have constantly been that, that stumbling point, that, that roadblock in our lives, and that today, that as it gets below that, God, that you would start to lift us out of this place of brokenness into a place of healing. God, that we would experience your forgiveness and we would experience your grace in a measure more than we've ever experienced before. God, and that the restoration would be sped up in our lives, that we'd recognize that, man, we might not have it all together, but, man, we are pushing on and pressing forward to become the person that you've called us to be. And no longer are we going to turn back and run back to the pits of shame and the pit of guilt we've been in bondage to now, but we're breaking free and running after your son. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I just want to take a moment and, uh, and first of all say this. Listen, if you made a decision for Jesus today or you rededicated your life, man, I just want to tell you congratulations. Like you made the greatest. Yeah, let's give it up. You just made the greatest decision you could ever make, and, and we want to celebrate with you, and we want to help you. And so, 
there, there's two things. One, right after service, we have some of our elders and ministry team right back here in the corner. We'd love to talk with you, pray with you, give you some things. But the second thing is, is, is that um, we have water baptism this afternoon, 3 p.m. at Sable Ponds. And, and I think one of the greatest things you can do is you made an inward declaration of what you believe. And now it's important that we make an outward declaration saying the old life is gone. That's what happens in baptism. The old life is gone and we rise up new. And it would be a great day for you to come out and celebrate what God is doing. And we'll celebrate with you. You'll probably even get a free t-shirt out of it. That should make you come. I mean, free stuff all the time makes people come to stuff. So we, I, I, I want to encourage you to do that.